Okay, you, you you can stop with the holy water now. I'm I'm not a vampire. Or at, at least stop beating my head with a damn bottle. Stop lying. Why won't you just? <sighs> oh man, I'm not a morning person. Why can't we record at night, guys? But it's, it's a, a horrible, horrible night, night to have a curse. No, 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 no. We are not doing that again. Castlevania was last episode. Aww. Hold on to your Metroid, folks, and join us for a dive into Metroidvania goodness. Welcome to Music Arcade. Hello, everyone. I'm Galen, the sound guy, Firestone. I'm Wanakel, and my favorite Tigavania is Tokimeki Memorial. And I'm Eddie, and my intro needs me to backtrack to get it, so... Forget it. Yep, see you in a bit. Uh, we're following up last episode. Uh, we took a look at the Castlevania hard, but this is a big genre with some big inspirations, and uh, I figured it was worth our while to take a look at Metroidvanias all across the spectrum, with maybe a little bit more on the Metroid side of things uh, this time around. And, or at uh, least on the different and more diverse type of things, because Metroidvania as a genre isn't just Castlevania clones. No, thankfully. Uh, as much as I love a good Castlevania clones, there's no shortage of those two. Um, there's a wide array of things that this genre has to offer, and some are spookier than others. And then there's Bloodstained. <laughs> and then there's Bloodstained, which really should have been in last episode. I'm going to die on this hill. That is a Castlevania game. I mean... It functionally is, and it is my absolute favorite uh, game of the genre. Number two is a Symphony of the Night, number three is Hollow Knight, by the way. That's a fair setup. Um, mine's a little more diverse, but I, I would definitely put Bloodstained somewhere in the top ten for sure. Um, I, I do feel like I personally like Symphony a little better, just because I like the transform mechanics better than the um, better than the soul grinding mechanics but that's that's entirely personal preference of course yeah i think the soul grinding stuff was kind of cool in the the first two sorrow games but it got a bit repetitive uh in in the other castlevania games for the ds uh igarashi was clearly trying his best to find excuses to introduce similar mechanics to those games because you can steal powers as well and then you have Bloodstain, which is, which is just Sorrow 3. I mean, yeah, he really likes that mechanic, and I get it. I, I, I understand, well, and I do, I I do like it. I also really like that mechanic. There you go. It, it, it's a fun mechanic. Like, there, there's yeah. a reason Mega Man is big because of the boss-stealing thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it helps uh, make a very diverse arsenal. And so, yeah, Bloodstained is, as far as I'm concerned, Sorrow 3 with a new main character, which it essentially is, up to it including the chance that, you know, Miriam will go crazy and become the big bad, though that doesn't happen in this version of events. Maybe one of the, maybe one of the, uh, one of the Circle of the Moon games. Um, but I guess that's kind of my point. Bloodstained is uh, absolutely a Castlevania game. Curse of the Moon? Curse of the Moon. Circle of the Moon is the GBA game. Oh, my bad. And uh, there's somebody that uh, goes mad with power, but it's not Miriam. No, but um, yeah, if if Bloodstained is essentially Castlevania, and it is, it's got all the same key personnel, it's designed like a Castlevania game, plays like a Castlevania game, loaded to the brim with Castlevania references, 
Um, it just really just has the serial numbers filed off, which is kind of why I don't want Konami to actually do more Castlevania games because, you know, Castlevania is still going just under a new title. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, the luxurious Overture track is a Castlevania track. It's absolutely a Castlevania intro. It's right there with the uh, Castle Center one we were talking about uh, uh, talking about last episode. Exactly. Symphony. And it's a good track. Like, it sets the tone. It's, you know, great. It has a very similar pace. Yep. It uh, really sets up uh, the scenery of that giant labyrinthine castle. You're just at the front steps, and it's full of monster, but you can handle it. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not a bit dismissive on it because uh, we don't like the track, quite the opposite. There's a reason why we put it as the first uh, track to talk about in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, no, we're just being quick about it. At least that's why I'm doing it, because what we could say about this track, we've mostly said it last episode on the uh, Castle Entrance uh, Symphony of the Night track. Right. Um, individually, this song works fine. Like, it's not my favorite song on the soundtrack, but it is quite a good one, and it's got a good energy, and it feels, again, hey, guess what? We're going back to this theme, like a Castlevania track. Shocker. Besides not being the best track in the soundtrack that is pretty stacked is not an insult. Yeah, no, no, exactly. that's, it's still a very good song, still listenable. The, the second I heard those opening notes, the whole thing basically got stuck in my head immediately, because it's not like I don't listen to this. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, an instant classic. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I picked it rather than some of my personal favorites, because, uh, one, it feels more iconic, and two, I believe we already talked in one of the early episodes about the theme for the Twin Towers. I think so, too. Do we talk about the Minerva yet? Uh, I'm not sure. My memory sucks, so I can't tell. Fair. I, either way, there's no shortage of songs in the soundtrack to talk about. It's really good. Um, it is. And, yeah, again, it sets the tone, even if technically this is the second area, not the first. But that's that's not that unusual. Even Symphony of the Night had that opening sequence with Richter with a completely different soundtrack, so... The craziest thing about this game is that they're still releasing content for it and still working right? on content for it. They just, uh, I say just, but it was probably getting close to a year ago now, they did the um, Child of Light crossover uh, where you got to play as Aurora and um, she just flies. She just outright flies places. Like, gravity yeah, means no, nothing to her. Jumping. Exactly. It's like uh, that mode uh, with the twin antagonists in... Uh, Portrait of Ruin. One day I've got to play that game. It's pretty fun. It's it's a nice game and thankfully it doesn't have the annoying uh, magic seals mechanic from Dawn of Sorrow. Also, that wasn't a year ago that released on August 23rd. It definitely released before that. It definitely released before that because I was still in Los Angeles. I have the Steam page right under my nose. What you're saying is impossible. I literally, like, maybe Steam messed with the date or something, but I definitely played it in Los Angeles. I did not play it here in Honolulu. 
Maybe Steam got the update late, cause Bloodstained for some reason tends to update later on Steam sometimes. Which annoys me because I mostly play on Steam. March 31st. Aurora, Child of Light playable character, March 31st. Okay, then the Steam news late to me. Yeah. Oh, and, Journey. And uh, mixed that date with the one of the Journey crossover. Yeah, Journey is the newest one. Journey is from August 19th, apparently, on the official website. That sounds right. Okay, so that's that's what happened there, is that yes. Steam is lying to Rana and got us all confused. Gabe! <laughs> Gabe! <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, not only, not um, only yes. is he unable to count to three, and he also does this. Exactly. And yes, Galen, in video, you are correct. I did shake my fist in the air. I'm glad that went through. Good. Good. Only reason I didn't was because I had water on a uh, bottle of water on my hand. So that's a good. Excuse. I, I don't want to break another keyboard. <laughs> yeah. No, I get that. Uh, coffee plus keyboard equals bad news. Um, anyway, I think the uh, most important thing we're trying to convey all over talking about uh, this track and this game is that, uh, yeah, it's uh, Castlevania with the numbers fired off, and that's a very good thing. We still have Castlevania games that are coming out and are generally good. Curse of the Moon 2, I've heard some pretty mixed things about, but other than that... Yes. I'm willing to spend my disbelief for not vampire alchemists and people covered in uh, stained glass. Yeah. I draw the line at a Kogi drawing a steampunk robot. Clearly you never played Breath of Fire 4. I did, in fact. I, I do, however, want to shout out the existence of a character called Orlock Fahrenheit Dracul who is voiced by Robert Belgrade. They got him yeah. out of retirement to essentially reprise Alucard. Pretty much. It's just Alucard with his hair dyed. Yeah. Oh, exactly. No, even but during no, his optional boss fight with him, he does so. the transformations that Alucard does. It's the same guy. It's great. Good to know, because I actually tried to fight him, but I died a lot. Instantly. He's a very nice with the library book. Don't mess with the library book, that is correct. Um, Return your books to the library, folks. That's our PSA for this episode. Uh, no, then. Yes. I couldn't help but notice that while I jokingly referenced to the term Igavania during my personal intro, uh, which was what was used for the Bloodstained Kickstarter to not say a certain word they definitely don't have the copyright about, uh... The more common term is Metroidvania, so how about we push aside the Venia part a little bit? This makes me happy. So I yes, the name Metroid exists for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and that reason is one of the best games on the Super NES. Possibly one of the best games of all time. Uh, Super Metroid's kind of incredible. Like we were talking last week about how Symphony of the Night codified the metroidvania but like super metroid had that formula already and it was great yeah exactly it established it and uh, i think at this point it may be good to uh, clarify uh, what we think as the limits of what is uh, metroidvania 
Well, uh, exploration, interlocking areas. You need to find certain things in the future to go back to older areas and unlock new paths. Um, yeah, and I think the important part about uh, those two is that for the areas, the fact that you uh, they are interlocked in a way that makes the relationship of each other to uh, well each other is uh, important. It basically makes the map a cohesive whole. Yeah, and then you cross it with the help of abilities that uh, help you not only in traversal or not only to go through certain doors, but also in combat. Yep. Um, which I think is a very important uh, manifestation of it. You know, it's it's not just exploration. It's also exploration with a purpose that helps you overcome obstacles as well. Yeah, exactly. It's not the colored keys from Doom. Yeah, exactly. Which are literally just keys, which... Just about, as you said, do. Come on. Any kind of game can have keys. It's a matter of the keys actually also helping you do other things. Yeah, exactly. There's a fundamental difference between a key and a double jump. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I'm often very disappointed when I fight a boss in a Metroidvania and that one boss only gives a key as a reward. That is not satisfying in Metroidvanians. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, however, that doesn't really happen very much in the Metroid games. Uh, yeah, since you open doors by literally blessing them with missiles. You know what you can also bless with missiles? Everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you do have occasionally a special door at the end that only opens when you defeat all previous bosses, but that's a special case. It's a special case, and it makes sense. It kind of forces you to go do the thing, unless you're playing a glitch speedrun or something and just sink through the floor or something. Um. Anyway, anyway we talked about music. We talked about the genre plenty. Uh, Metroid tends to have far more atmospheric music than Castlevania. It really kind of yeah. plays hard on the mystery of the unknown. The hostile planet. Mm -hmm. With one exception being more of a theme of Samus, which is definitely the one character theme, and the rest is the planet's theme. You're just walking in it. Mm hmm. Um. And this song in particular, well, I'm going to be honest, this particular remix does nothing for me. Um, yeah, it's like, I, I, so this is a remix called Baron Star, which is a remix of the Brinstar, uh, Overgrown Vegetation theme. I actually really like the Brinstar Overgrown Vegetation theme. I think it's one of the most, like, interesting kind of melodic songs in Metroid. But I feel like this one is almost too chill. Like, it doesn't feel like you're exploring anymore. I think it kind of misses yeah, the point of the song. Yeah, it's definitely more chill. And uh, what struck me along with the chill is that it's very decomposed. You can almost cut it neatly into three clean sections uh, instead of having them uh, interlock and tangle the way, say, some overgrown vegetation would. Right. It's the garden version of... Uh, the wild overgrowth area. I will be honest, if I had a webcam, you'd be seeing me smiling right now <laughs> because I have so much to say about this track. 
Good. Uh, You're the one who pissed. Yes. Yes. Uh, so, uh, long-time listeners of the podcast might remember back in our first episode, I think, maybe our second, we talked about our uh, initial uh, experiences, let's say, with game music and what gave us an interest in it. And the one I brought up was the uh, Brinstar Plant Overgrown Area uh, track. This uh, cover is done by a Brazilian band. Uh, I am not sure they're still around. I haven't found anything uh, from them in recent years. Uh, they go by 8-bit instrumental. And they do a lot of covers in different uh, genres. And... Uh, the name of this cover, uh, Berenstar, as it was be, would be pronounced in Portuguese, is a portmanteau of Berenstar with an instrument called a berimbau, Aha. which is played in capoeira uh, matches. Uh, and it dictates the rhythm. To, to come back to your questions about the band's activity, I checked the band camp. The last album is from uh, the 1st of February 2009. Yeah, they don't seem active anymore, which is a shame. They had some, some pretty good covers. Uh, they had an entire Mega Man 2 album, but that's a story for another time. Uh, so yeah, this, uh, this cover uses the bidding bow as a lead instrument in some bits, and uh, for anyone interested or curious at all, uh, you can Google uh, capoeira music and you'll find people playing the berimbau or just capoeira matches you often find yeah, that as well. And I will say, as far as instrument choices go, that was pretty perfect. Um, yeah, it's I find it works really well with, with those more bass <laughs> sections. So... I'm going to admit that I'm an idiot here, and uh, I know a lot of instruments, but that's not one I know. Uh, what sound am I listening for on that one? It's that bass-heavy dun-dun-dun-dun part of the melody. Okay, so it's a string instrument. Yep. That was the data that I needed, because there was something I wanted to yell about, and uh, I didn't know if I was about to and yell about something that I didn't actually understand, but I, I don't. And that's what you want to yell at? No. No, that is not what I want to yell at, which is good, because I can still yell at the uh, thing now. <laughs> uh, let everything me it. went well it's got a very cool sound to it you know what doesn't have a cool sound to it that just annoyed me throughout the entire track that snare drum or you know lack thereof am I the only one who gets major saint anger vibes off of that thing major what wave saint anger as in the terrible Metallica album with the god awful drum the, the sound the mixing is the mixing on, on the drums, or whatever decisions were made with the drums, uh, that's awkward. I, I will grant you that much. Yeah, I I don't like the drum on this song pretty much at all. Like, I, I get what they were going for, but instead of just detuning the snare, they should have done, like, a brush, in, or a brush on a hard snare, or something. Like, the snare just takes me out of the song entirely. I'm, I'm, it makes me angry. What a, what I kind of end up feeling like is that uh, they see or saw themselves maybe as a rock band, 
and uh, they wanted to do something a bit more bossa nova with this, but ended up getting caught in between those two worlds. So, let's see. We have a rock band that does some bossa nova night and beat its instrumental, sorry, uh, playing a track from a 16-bit game. Yep. Cool. With a berimbau, which is a African African Brazilian instrument. Yep. Checks out. Cool. There's, I mean, I do like some of the instrumentation. I just, I don't think the composition is there on this, and that drum mixing is a crime against music. So, like, unfortunately, I'm a little, I'm, I'm just way too mixed on this one. I wish I liked it more than I did, because it's got some really cool ideas, and the berimbau does sound very good. Now that I know what I'm listening for, I'm like, yeah, that's actually a highlight of the piece. Yeah, I, th I think the uh, the presence of the berimbau is what uh, makes me forgive the drums, let's say. Um, and besides, I, I kind of felt like I, I needed to bring this song up at one point because it's the most Eddie-defining track I can think of. It's from Super Metroid, it's my favorite song from Super Metroid, it's covered by a Brazilian band, and it uses a really cool folk instrument that I wish more people would play. Yeah? Uh, as a fun aside, uh, Max Cavalera, uh, ex-Sepultura, he plays the Benimbal, if I recall correctly. That doesn't surprise Clearly, me. Clearly, the only way to make this track more eddy is to replace the more disputable arguments by, uh, instruments by pipe organs and harpsichords. <laughs> oh god no, that would suck with the pinball. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> just, just thinking about that is giving me headaches. Uh, <laughs> you know, which is... But those aspects will have their time in the sun later on this yeah. episode anyway. And what's funny they, is... They will, but there's a limit to, to the stereotyping about who I am. Let's... Uh, <laughs> There's a line, and we crossed it. <laughs> we did! <laughs> uh, sorry, I need a second now. Damn it, guys. Uh, no, what's, what's funny is Nothing. I feel like my picks were probably closer to the other side of the Eddie standard being extremely atmospheric and dark and gothic, and also for Metroid, but in this case, Metroid Dread. Um... And I found myself stuck between two songs to the point where I just threw my hands up and said, heck with it, both of them are going on my selection. Por que no los dos? I'm sorry? Por que no los dos? Why not both? Why not both? Nice, um, nice foreshadowing with the Spanish. The this will not be the worst Spanish you're going to hear this episode, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Oh yeah, like, I, I can speak French in the same way you can speak Spanish, so this time I will be the one smiling. Si, senor. It's gonna be fun. Oi vey. Anyway, um, Galen? Dread? Dread! Yes, um, the sentiment we instilled into you just now. A little bit, yeah. Uh, so, Metroid has always been on the darker end of the spectrum. Uh, there's a couple of exceptions probably the first game being the biggest exception before it really knew what it was. But yes. generally speaking, uh, Metroid series as a whole has always been a lot creepier and a lot 
darker. Yeah. And Metroid Dread was both when they the, just... Both the 2D and Primes ones. Yes. Um, they both found a different mark, but are both very much in uh, a horror-like display. Yeah. And uh, Metroid Dread kind of took that one step further and actually kind of blended a little bit with survival horror. Um, I believe that was started with Fusion once upon a time, but only for a couple of sequences, whereas this one, it's a principal mechanic. Yeah. Um, and a principal part of uh, the setting. Yes. Uh, and which that is reflected in the music. I was about to say exactly that phrase, actually. <laughs> Beat me to it. How dare you? Um... For the record, I love Metroid Dread to death. This is an amazing video game. Uh, I am so happy it exists, and uh, I was talking about how Mercury Steam really botched Castlevania last time around. They did the opposite with this one. They basically resurrected Metroid and created yeah. a real, true, fun Metroid game with a great, creepy soundtrack. Um, I find it, the, the story is a bit interesting, too, because... Uh, they originally um, tried to uh, convince Nintendo into hiring them for a uh, Metroid Fusion remake, but Nintendo said said no, and hired them to make uh, a Metroid Two remake, which they did. Which I still the... need to play. Yes, I, I believe it was on the 3DS. Got some pretty good reviews. And so they made a sequel to Metroid Fusion. Mm-hmm. Which is dread. Again, like, they really get it right on kind of all levels, and the music's a big part of that. In this case, Artaria is one of the first areas. This is the third track in Artaria. Um, the music does build as you explore, so this one's the third area, third, you know, expansion of the song. Um, mm -hmm. And it's got some vibe to it. Uh, question. Yes. Do you go to other areas in order to uh, uh, change this area so that the tracks change? I mean, I know that is a mechanic, turning on lava vents and ice vents and stuff, but I'm not sure if this particular one is part of that or if it's just as you explore. It's been a while since I played. Okay, I was asking before because... Uh, Having the track evolve uh, for uh, the parts where you must revisit the older areas and seeing them be expanded upon sounds like a great way to uh, make the revisits even more weighty right there in the soundtrack. Yeah, because gameplay and music. not just your, your abilities change, but the map itself changes. Yeah. Um, which is a pretty... Uh pretty legitimate mechanic as well. Uh, again, I called this one of my favorite Metroidvanias of all time for a very good reason. It takes the formula and really makes it interesting in some new and cool ways. Um, and and yeah, uh, this song in particular, I, I think even if it is technically a later song, it does set the tone for the game as well. Like, it's it's got that incredibly creepy vibe. Everything seems to be working with it. Um, yeah, like previous uh, Metroid, there was the uh, native life form of the hostile planet that was emphasized. This one, there's this mechanical future technology threat that is uh, 
very much always there. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's always there in the music. And that really does work as well. Um, yeah, everything about this game really does come together. Uh, I like the melody line on this song a lot. Like, it only comes in every once in a while. It's mostly fairly soundscapey as a song, but it... Um, when the melody line kicks in, it is it does get its hooks in there. It is very memorable. On the other side of that, uh, the one that really leads into the creepy is the first song of the Berenia area, Berenia 1. Um, that yeah. one... That one almost feels like is it, I, I don't want to say it would be at home in a Silent Hill, but it wouldn't be untoward in a Silent Hill t- style game. Um, yes, it's a Silent got, Hill style game. Yeah. Because Silent Hill is a kind of a weird animal when it comes to its own soundtrack. That's true, although Akira Yamaoka is fairly concise with his work. Yeah. Um, I swear, the best thing about the movie of Silent Hill... Actually, the movie of Silent Hill wasn't terrible if you take it outside of it, but he did the soundtrack for that movie, and it was like, oh, this is actually really good. Anyway, enough about Silent Hill. Um, This song's got those, like, ghostly chimes to them. It's got, like, it really laying on the survival horror side of Metroid Dread um, without being in one of the specific survival horror sections. Like, you never run into one of the horrible evil robots that cause so many problems. Yeah, I, think... I do wonder what the the area this plays in is like, because uh, the synths in the background kind of paint me a picture of like we often see in sci-fi movies and especially anime for some reason. Uh, also, Star Wars, those uh, tubes that people go in or uh, biological experiments are being made. Large yes. glass tubes full of liquid. Yes, I, I get that either image. that or an under underwater lab. Yeah, that's like, the vibes I'm getting. Um, what is the zone? There is an underwater what? lab in the game, so entirely possible this is that area. Again, it's been a while since I played the individual areas. Um, I unfortunately don't have much memory of the music in context, which is unfortunate. I, I feel like I don't usually replay games very often, but that one I feel like to I can the replay. Google image. It's the underwater section. Yay! Yeah, you nailed it! The system works. <laughs> the system works. Um, okay, well that answers so, that. It's the underwater lab. Yeah, kudos, and again, kudos to the composer for how much the game succeeds at conveying the atmosphere of these areas, which is most of the time what the music tracks of Metroidvania games are about. Mm-hmm. The areas. Yeah, these these tracks might be on the the most uh diegetic end of the spectrum for Metroid soundtracks because you don't always fully get the vibe of the zone just by hearing this the the songs. This, I like, ran and I instantly went, there's water in there, and yeah, quick boot search, and yep. And it, it, both both tracks like feel very, very diegetic, like the sort of thing where, yeah, the, the music is pretty cool. You probably won't remember it because it was just sort of, part of a package it wasn't just the song being presented to you it was yeah the song the gameplay the scenery and all that and again it ties it also back to the atmosphere the whole game 
is trying to establish because of that whole philosophobia vibe that Subnautica capitalized on so well. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm seeing some of those screenshots and the game definitely is working that with parts where it's just empty, obscure ocean parts where you can't see where it ends. Um, That's something that generates anguish in a lot of people. I will say this before we move on to the next track, and this is not music-related, but it is sound design-related. I want to thank Metroid Dread for giving Samus her voice back. She has very yes. few lines. She is an incredibly laconic person, but after she Other doesn't M... doesn't need to have a lot of lines. Yeah. After Other M, it feels good to know that she actually can speak, and that yes. didn't ruin her forever. So, just wanted to throw that out there. I agree. Let's just say there's a reason Samus is a, a personal inspiration for a character in a story I write as a hobby. Ooh. I dig it. Ooh, indeed. Now then, how about we go with pretty much as much of an opposite atmosphere as we can, but remain in the same game genre? Yeah. yeah we're going for from one extreme to the other. Yeah, we're but going from the Metroid same genre to Mariachi somehow. here. Yeah, from uh, creepy underwater lab sections to uh, luchadors uh, in the desert. That is Desierto Caliente from the Guacamele soundtrack. So, I'm going to be honest, this song is fairly stereotypical and yet at the same time really jams, so I, I like... Yeah, I... And what's nice is that... Uh... The stereotypical part is that for the whole soundtrack. Yeah. yeah I, I was going to say, I think the uh, it's pretty stereotypical, but it jams. That, that's a very good description of the game, of the franchise, yeah. really. So yeah. good job, Galen. <laughs> um, yeah, no, exactly. That's, uh, how Mexican can we get? Good, now make it more. I didn't play very much of this one. I hit a lot of bugs and kept falling through floors and getting into rooms I couldn't get out of. And no, I just kind of threw my hands up and gave up. Um, I I skipped the first game. I played uh, the second one. But yeah, it, it is pretty much... One. Yeah, it's pretty much... How much Mexico do you want? Yes. <laughs> exactly. Nothing wrong with that. And that's reflected in the music as well. I love those trumpets in this particular song. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I love the them. The bass is so good as well. Uh, and uh, that's there's also something that you'd need other tracks from the game for comparison, but I like that within that uh, Mexican core, uh, in one word, they uh, still manage to uh, add in a lot of variation, like for the more forested area. There's uh, those uh, tinting sound that uh, kind of reflect the and make me feel of the shady canopy that's above head. And for this one in particular, the sounds are much drier. The guitar is doing its own thing because uh, it's well uh, one of the an a dry sound that fits very well a desert. 
and you even have the sounds of the wind that are part of the music. It really reflects that desert heat. But of course, that's not all the tricks that track get, because the game has uh, uh, a part of it where some enemies are undead and thus cannot be uh, uh, punched uh, by somebody that's living. Thankfully, you have been cursed and sent to the world of the dead. You came back because you are Lord Shadow, so that's nothing, but uh, you can then take portals to go back and forth from one to the other instantly. This is what and would happen if Legacy of Kane's Soul Reaver was was written by someone who had way too much tequila. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, you're not, not wrong. And also made a Metroidvania. Because the game very much is one, you... Uh, all of the moves you learn are wrestling holes, but the suplex allows you to pierce certain walls. The shoulder tackle is an air dash, etc, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, the World of the Dead version uh, silences the uh, uh, the guitar, makes the whole music itself look more shady. The wind is the same as before, but instead of sowing a feeling stiflingly hot and dry, it feels much more sinister. Yeah, I was I, I was thinking in my why, notes but... uh, that I wrote down that the World of the Dead version has um, that like very stereotypical like you're dead wind and synth pad combo going on that you hear like everywhere. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. It might be that combo that Galen mentioned, but the World of the Dead version reminds me a lot and instantly made me picture in my mind the uh, ghost version. Of um, biker dude, sorry. Mm -hmm. it, it instantly conjured in my mind the image of the ghost version of the pirate look Chuck from I think the second Monkey Island game is where mm -hmm. he's a, a ghost. I, I don't know why, it might be because of the tropical uh setting plus ghostly creature. Yeah, no, that checks out. That's a very similar atmosphere. I think a very similar imagery, anyway. Yeah, it's um, a it's a nice nice track too. I personally I prefer the the original version for once. Same. Uh, same. As yeah. the ambient guy, for once I prefer the less ambient-ish version. But uh, the original version is really energetic, really really fun. Yeah, but which the... fits with the broading style gameplay while you do. Uh, Combos, linking into air combos, linking into suplex holds and the mm -hmm. like, and it's great. It yeah, needs to be kind of fast like that. Yeah, Th that's not to say the World of Death version is bad. It's, it's oh, pretty cool as well. It's really yeah, fun. Yeah, but, but it's very not, much not meant to be a complement to the first rather than to stand on its own. Yeah, you're meant to compare the two to recognize the different vibes of the different worlds, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And I picked that track and I picked that game in particular to uh, kind of reflect this idea that, again, 
metroidvanias don't have to be horror themed, World of the Dead notwithstanding, to uh, need to reflect what their area and their atmosphere says about them. I don't. I think will say, however, that the meme dimension of the sequel uh, that was horror. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think even the World of the Dead section is meant to be horror, but horrifying because you're still just punching ghosts in the face. No, exactly. Um, now then, uh, let's move on to the next track. Yeah, let's talk about the most horrific thing of all, the most horrifying and scary thing of all. Anime. Anime. Yeah, you saw that joke coming. Um, it's uh, still funny, though. It is. Where's Zero? Where's Zero? Right? Um, Although it's an anime adaptation from the, 19, uh, from the 90s, of a D&D campaign. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like I like to tell the whole story. It's a 2020s game based off of an anime, based off of an, a manga, based off of a bunch of sessions of D&D. Like it's yeah. full nerd rage here. Oh yeah. Um so I've I never still watched have my Lotus DVDs. I've never watched a single episode of Record of Lotus War. I am familiar with it only because the name Record of Blank War has been used as a nameplate boiler for a, a name boilerplate for a while um <laughs> and uh again the D, D story so when i'm like i was looking at previews of this game and i'm like should i play this like i'm not an anime guy i'm not familiar with the source material and it's you know and it's a game by a company i've never heard of i'm not exactly sure why i hit the button on it but damn this game was good yeah. I imagine that uh, peer pressure from my end might have played a part on that one. Uh, maybe. I, I believe I gave a glowing recommendation as well, having played their previous game, and having followed that specific project b since before the previous game came out. Yeah, and what we ended up with was... Like, I played this one right before Metroid Dread, and at the time I called it one of my favorite Metroidvanias of all time, and possibly my favorite Metroidvania of all time, only for Metroid Dread to come up and kick it in the Mivonks. <laughs> um, but, uh, this does some cool things. Uh, like, the first ability you get is Double Jump. So they're like, right out of the gate, we're giving you movement tech. Enjoy! Ooh, this is gonna get fun. Um... Yeah. So yeah, highly recommend the game, but the music is actually like legit as hell. Um, the the song I picked in this case actually has some like Valka profile vibes to it, a little bit. Um, a little, yeah. Yeah, just a bit. It's it's Sakuraba esque with a dash of Fantasy Star Universe. It's just very energetic. Yeah, it's just a fun exploration track. I don't think it's the first area. I think it's like the second or third you you visit, but um. Yeah, I think it's the third or so, because if I recall correctly, the first area is more mellow-ish, because yeah. it's sort of open fields in the background. Yeah, also, we talked uh, with uh, Bloodstain in particular of games that uh, were the inspiration on their sleeve. The work cycle for the main character. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, no. Boy, is that Alucard. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, if you ever wonder what uh, Alucard would look like if he had a brighter outfit and was a woman, just played this game. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, although I will say the animations, not that this is animation arcade or anything, the animations are a bajillion times smoother. Like, he wears his oh. inspiration on Steve, but still has a lot of modern contrivances, which 
I appreciate the blend. Yeah, it turns out Symphony of the Night may be, in my opinion, the second best game of his genre, but it still has uh, 25 years of uh, game development uh, between then and now. Yeah. And there's no shame in reflecting that. For real. Yeah, I found myself um, very impressed by the soundtrack of this one. This this particular song really does just get its groove on and not quit, and I really... Yeah. It's a very the, Castlevania game with a really Castlevania kind yeah. of soundtrack. And If memory serves well, the other tracks in the game tend to, tend to be a bit more mellow. This one really feels like the area where you are running and slashing along the way. Which I think yeah, is exactly that. Correctly, it's it's this one, and I think the second to last area are the ones that are more energetic, outside of like boss battle things. Hey, it's not just quiet exploration. Sometimes you gotta fight monsters. Mm-hmm. With the Karuga mechanics, because why not? Exactly. It's a fun blend of styles, is what I'm saying. Yeah, and again, there's something that keeps being. Uh, shown in the theme of this episode uh, like I have the preview of the track in front of me and uh, what strikes me is that uh, we've mentioned time and time again already that what matters a lot for the soundtracks of Metroidvanias is the place you're in and the title if the volume was adjusted for how big the letters were on the title itself, it's not Diddlit in Wonder Labyrinth Record of Lodoswar, it's Diddlit in Wonder Labyrinth Record mm -hmm. of Lodoswar. The labyrinth is the key. It is, and it sounds like it too. Yeah, no, no spoilers here, but the, the labyrinth kind of is its own character as well. Mm -hmm. And there's good reason why the soundtrack is so uh, so good, really, and so uh, encompassing of the environment you're in, in the different areas, which, if I recall correctly, it's six areas, maybe, yes. plus a bonus one. I remember yeah, because of that whole on D6. Uh, D6 uh, theme yeah. peppered in a lot of the interface. Yeah, I think it's it's six and a bonus thing for a story bit. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's very good at uh, creating the the ambience like Metroid, but also really good at creating some really catchy melodies that you yeah, really and, groove to. And to compare it to the previous game, there was certainly room for worry because the previous game. Uh, was a Toho game, which means that uh, instead of original composition, it had uh, Metroidvaniafications of a lot of traditional classic Toho tracks, because Toho has more music in it than entire publishing labels. <laughs> and uh, so it's good to know that they get away with doing some solid original compositions as well. Let, let's Monty Python this and go. And now for something completely different. Something completely different indeed. We're going from Wonder Labyrinth to Blasphemous. 
No wonder there. Boo. A, a, a lovely, shiny, beautiful green field with a, an elf that can jump graciously to a scenery of self-flagellation for religious purposes. This yeah. game just made me uncomfortable. Metroidvanias are more, are more varied than you think. Um... Yeah, this game is a Catholic self-flagellation punk. Yeah, I uh, I don't really like Souls-likes. I've been pretty open about this. I've never really vibed with the genre. Um, I blame this in part that I'm a big like Bayonetta and Devil May Cry fans, so I'm I'm more about more 3D exploration with the big action elements to them. Boy, is this going to be fun to bring back in a couple of tracks? It will be. Yes, indeed. Um. This game tried to blend Souls-like mechanics with a more traditional Metroidvania. And the whole thing, just gameplay, like, the, the actual area wasn't bad, but the gameplay of it just made my skin crawl. Yeah, it's much more of a grounded game, which can clash with a genre where one of the most iconic ability is a flighty double jump. Mm -hmm. And occasionally the ability to transform into a, a being that can actually fly. And, uh... Like, musically, this is wearing its influence on its sleeve, right? It's Castlevania plus Souls. Yeah. Like, it's doing exactly what it's setting out to to show off. Which is good, it's commendable. I'd say it's... Yeah, I would say it's Castlevania plus Souls plus Diablo. Which, you know, it's a bit on the nose with the Catholic imagery thing. Yeah. A bit too on the I nose. Like very I didn't, good, though. I didn't dislike it, oh. per se, but I don't have much, uh... I don't have much, um... connection to it. And that didn't make it helpful. I played this for, like, one or two streams, and just... always meant to get back to it, and just never found myself interested in doing so. Yeah, I... I have a hard time with these, uh, 2D... Souls-inspired Metroidvanias as well. Yeah. But uh, I can say that I at least really enjoy the Blasphemous uh, soundtrack. Yeah. I've been trying to get into the game. Uh, I got the first boss down. Congrats. I too much more than that. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an acquired taste maybe. And I'm not sure I will acquire that taste. Yeah. But the music is nice. Music is very uh, nice. In particular, the song in our playlist is uh, called Coplas de Incienso. So, um, for, for those uh, listening that... along. Let me go ahead. This song has a very, yeah. very cool piano line. Like, I like how it feels throughout. Uh, that sounds like a bus track. Is it one? I have no idea. Good. Okay, well, that answers that, kind of. No, it doesn't. Exactly. I said I didn't go far in the game. Yeah, yeah, you did. Um, yeah, I love the the Spanish guitar with piano here. It works surprisingly well. Just uh, as an aside here, uh, as someone who loves uh, sort of neo folk ish acts, I used to listen to a a duo who played stuff on. Uh, one dude was on a piano and the other was on a guitar, an acoustic guitar. Uh, nowadays I find them boring as hell, but 
that's beside the point. And uh, Blasphemous does it really good when those guys didn't. So uh, kudos to the composer, uh, Car Carlos Viola. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to trust some guy to play the, a Spanish string instrument, I can put my money on somebody named Carlos Viola. I, I was bracing for it when you started that joke. Because I knew it was coming. I'm a simple man. <sighs> um, See, I think you didn't resonate with this game because you already have a method of uh, deep punishment and cleansing of the soul, which is me. <laughs> oh god. He has a oh point. Oh god. He has a point. Oh god. This is not a podcast, this is purgatory. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah, our listeners are, are listening to three guys uh, talk on, on a mic. They're listening to uh, one guy on the mic and two voices in his head tormenting him. <laughs> yeah. Where were we? Anyway. I'm... Yeah. Uh, music good? Music good. Music good. <laughs> good talk. Good talk. Only the finest analysis. Yep. I'm going, going to uh, escape from purgatory now okay. and head over to Hollow Knight, a game I still need to play. Um. So, I noticed this one has, like, Baroque instruments, but modern composition. Like, it's really pushing the harpsichord, which is a cool use of it. Yes. But it doesn't play, like, old harpsichord music at all. Oh, very much, no. It plays, like, uh, boss battle music. Which, which I assume it, it is. Exactly is. Yeah. Yes. And not any boss battle either. Uh, it's an important one. It's basically the last battle you have before you get your double jump. Oh, yeah, that is a big one. Yeah. And, uh, the... Because we've mostly mentioned exploration track. But the boss battles are also an important part of the genre. They are landmark occasions, and if you're going to play out uh, landmark occasions, that kind of track certainly fits the bill. And then you have the specific type of boss battle that this is. Uh, because as you may notice in the title of the track, Monty's Lords, there's more than one of them. Right. At first, uh, you have uh, these these uh, three people. You have to actually press a button to challenge specifically. And uh, that closes the arena. And uh, the three guys are sitting on thrones in the background. And the guy in the middle starts jumping on you and starts attacking you. <laughs> Eventually after you wear his life down, the two other people join in at once while the first is retreating. And then you have similar patterns, except now there's the second Mantis Lord that basically covers some of the weak points in the patterns of the first one and start intermingling in a very beautiful dance, especially if you become a part of it, which is the best way to survive and go along with it, uh, and really take into the rhythm, which is why I believe in the track itself there's so many parts that intermingle and begin before the previous one even ended. Like it's not... 
It's dun 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 dun, and while it continues, the next movement is already starting. Right. Which would have been absolutely just laughed out of the room in the Baroque era. Just throwing that out there again, exactly. because classical music is something I actually do understand. Yes. Um. I can only say, after that explanation of the boss fight, and people wonder why I die so much on this game. <laughs> oh, but that's not all, you see. Because I put in the, uh, in the playlist two tracks. Uh, with the DLCs, they added an arena mode full of extra hard versions of previous encounters. And at this point, the fact that Man the Mantis Lord theme was a banger was already well known, and so they decided to one-up themselves. Literally, the Sisters of Battle track first happens in an arena, which explains why there's so many choirs, because there's a crowd that's visible in the background. Nice. And, af and after you take out the first solo fight, the enemy retreats and then joins in again along with the first two and you have to f fight all three at the same time and it becomes even more messy and needs to be even more of an impeccable dance if you want to ever get a hit in. Let alone healing, since healing requires standing on in place for like two or three seconds, which during a boss fight like this is an eternity. Right. Not to repeat myself, but uh, and people wonder why I die so much in this game. Um. <laughs> so this is definitely a bigger version of the song. It's got the vocal pads. I gotta be honest. I don't think I like it better. I think I like the original. Yeah, the original has a more solemn. Uh, feel to it. It also feels the... like it's a more complete song. Like, this other one is like, let's take this song and just throw stuff at it. It doesn't really feel as connected. Hmm. Yeah, I got a similar similar impression. It's like, uh, they consciously knew they had to one-up themselves. Yes. So they were focusing on one-upping themselves rather than on composing a cohesive track. Yeah. So I, I prefer yeah, the exactly. original as well. In a way, it kind of reminds me of uh, a track from Final Fantasy Record Keeper, where they took battle from the big bridge and just added as much shouty choir as they could in it. And it had this almost comical fanciness to it, which really fit uh, the whole Gilgamesh theme. And that doesn't necessarily has uh, uh, want to have that same vibe, even though... Uh, like, even the color gradient of the arena. The original, it's very dark and greenish. The arena of the DLC, it's golden and fanciful. And animated all throughout. Um, I will say there was a follow-up. We're just going to go back to that Record Keeper one for a second. There was a follow-up because mm -hmm. they did a version of that song for Dissidia NT or I think it was actually just a city arcade at that point that had like the record keeper isms in there, but was more of a complete like song. Check that one out. No. Yeah, I should. Anyway, um, Dissidia had good tracks. There's one thing I can't uh, complain about. Okay. It's the music. Dissidia knew what it was doing there. Oh yeah. I almost forgot one of the best part about the Mantis Lord fight is what happens at the end when you defeat the last two Mantis Lords. They teleport back again in uh, their seats, 
the three that take a wounded stance for a while stand back up and salute you before letting you pass. They don't die. Yay! Yeah, which in a game that goes into some pretty dark place at the end uh, is a nice fight. It's just that kind of fight where both participants, or in this case all four participants, are into fighting each other and are having a nice time. And so that, that's this uh, climactic point of it, which helps kind of mark there's a before and an after, because the after is now you have a double jump. Now you can move to even more areas and explore that a game that is four times as large as it needed to be. <laughs> You're not wrong. Uh, one day I'll check the I, game I, out. I gotta say, as... As someone who's uh, grown with such movies as A Bug's Life and Ants, I am surprised at how this game manages to still instill a sense of gothic and sometimes fear when every character is a bug. Yeah, they really take that aesthetic and make it work by figuring it out how this species of insect or that species of insect would reinterpret that. The City of Cheese is a beautiful example, for instance. It would be really easy to dismiss this game after A Bug's Life, but they executed too well. I don't... I don't, I, I don't think that's a fair comparison, just because things have a slightly similar concept. It's not... It's not necessarily me comparing the two, it's just, it's sort of ingrained in my mind at this point that stories featuring bugs are kind of children stories, let's say. That's certainly the case for Grounded, for most recently of all. It's that but, uh, uh, survival builder game where you are shrunk kids in your backyard. That basically... It's Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the game. Now then, uh, I see that what comes next is another imposing boss battle. Take it away, Galen. Okay, so I mentioned I don't like the Souls games. I just don't like playing them. That doesn't mean I don't respect them or don't understand why they're as big as they are. Um, I mentioned in the prior episode, I feel like they, the Souls games in particular, have actually taken the Metroidvania concept and brought it into the 3D era in a way that hadn't been done before. Um, yeah. It also does slow with really slow, boring, and frustrating combat and enemies that will not give you a break, etc., etc. Um, which I get, that's a feature, not a bug, but ugh. That just that doesn't make me comfortable. But the music has also kind of taken a turn in its own way. A lot of times in the Souls games... Uh, you have long stretches of nothing and then boss fights. And the boss fights have big music. Yes. Um, like, we've mentioned the, the uh, uh, point of climax after the Chilo exploration. Dark Souls is very much lowering the lows as flat as they come and pushing the highs as high as they come. Right. Um, talk about lowering, lowering the lows as low as they go, like... I listened to this track, and my first impression is 
they do a good job at, at a dark dark fantasy version of the Inception bomb stuff. <laughs> it's not quite what I meant, but uh, that's a fair point in itself, yes. Yeah, um, so this song is very Sakuraba-inspired, which is kind of funny because he's on the soundtrack, but he didn't compose this one. This one was composed by Yuka Kitamura. Yeah, and those are certainly some interesting shoes to fill. Big ones in themselves, uh, Sakurabas, that is. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he did a very different job from his usual in uh, the first Dark Souls. Oh, yeah. And uh, Yuka Kitamura didn't seem to have a lot of experience before Dark Souls 2. The only video game she composed for was Armored Corvette Day. And... Uh, it's interesting to see her kind of taking that Sakuraba spin-off style and making it really her own in what came after. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, she's been kind of a breath of fresh air in terms of new composers on the scene. And Yeah, exactly. I'm very glad... Uh, this uh, passing of the torch haha, uh, is uh, still happening. Yeah. Um, was she on the Elden Ring soundtrack? I know that's like the newest yes, Souls game. Yes, she was. Okay. And the Sekiro's one, too. Oh, I didn't know she was also in Sekiro. I, I thought Sekiro <laughs> I thought Sekiro and Bloodborne were the two like weirdos that were composed by completely different people. No, she was on both of them. Never mind, she's just she's just from software's uh, golden child, I guess. Pretty much, yeah. This song has got some energy to it that I like. Um Yuka Kimura did a very good job. Um It's very energetic, it's you know very darkly heroic. Yeah. There's a very cool quieter bit mid mid of the way, and that's not really something Sakuraba himself tends to do. Uh, he tends to kind of go hard and stay there without much downtime, but she's willing to kind of pull it back and let things kind of breathe for a minute, which I which I appreciate. Yeah, there's a lot of build-up, uh, which uh, kind of lets us feel the way this uh, old Dragon Slayer, since that's the name of the, uh, the track, uh, has to kind of gather up his forces to get full speed, because he's... A uh, relic of another age. Mm hmm. Now, um, a funny story about this one. This is one of the few Soul games I played all the way through. I didn't like Dark Souls 1. I liked this game a lot, specifically Scholar of the Surf Sin version. And I liked, um, and I liked Bloodborne a lot. The trick with this is I never actually really heard this song in context, which is this giant, like, three minute track. Because apparently this guy was supposed to be an early game boss, and I totally just missed it and came back way later somehow and just squashed him <laughs> oh no i met him about as early as they could and he just gave me creative acupuncture um you know i i think that brings up an interesting point about metroidvanias in that uh depending on how open they are they can lead to some very different experiences, even if you're playing the very same game. Mm hmm Like, I don't know of many speedruns that ever go fight Krakomire unless it's 100%. Like, speedruns of Super Metroid. Um, 
you could just totally dodge the boss entirely, and you could just avoid mechanics and enemies in a lot of these cases just because of how open the exploration is, which I appreciate. Hey, guess what? You have options. Yeah. I will say the classification as a Metroidvania is a little bit sketchy on this one due to the whole uh, methods of offensive use as traversal methods that isn't really a thing there. Yeah, um, I guess the Metroidvania uh, is much more prominent in number one. Uh, and in Sekiro in particular, I think Sekiro yeah. is the most Metroidvania of them. But I just like the soundtrack of Dark Souls 2 better, so that's the one I kind of poked exactly. at. Like, that's really the beginning and end of my level of thinking. Like, I wouldn't call Demon Souls a Metroidvania either, because that one's a central hub game. Yeah. And besides, the Souls game also have this aspect of revisiting areas, uh, area music having uh, the way it matters a little, although it's much more of a downturn due to how different the pace of movement is, and uh, the buses, which are pretty similar in tone, as these big climaxes after something that's much more chill. Mm -hmm. A test of what you're supposed to have learned up until this point. Still, given that it's a bit of a Metroidvania-ish rather than a true Metroidvania, I feel like I have to read it back by... Uh, doing a game that uh, hit me uh, the moment I saw it without knowing much of ex existence because I saw uh, someone streaming it, uh, a preview or pre-release version of it. Uh, didn't even have the sound there, but uh, the streamer in question put the map on and yep, you can tell by the map it's a Metroidvania, alright? That's a good sign. Yeah, that is one thing a lot of Metroidvanias have in common. They have a very codified map system. Again, blame yeah, Super Metroid, because they're the ones who started it. Very much so, and that one fits the bill 100%. It is the Mummy Demastered. Oh, what happens when you take a movie that is reportedly, I haven't seen it, but reportedly not very good, and decide, no, actually, we're going to make a licensed game that's way better than this movie deserves. Well, that reminds that you of... feeling when the big movie studio doesn't care about their product, but a small game studio doing it 2D Metroidvania does. Um, well, it's not a small game studio, it's way forward. Yeah, that's not small at all, they're actually kind of massive. Um, yeah, this one... Fair. I, I will say I'm angry at The Mummy for basically derailing Sofia Batella's career. Because... She was, like, from her debut in Kingsman, she was really kind of coming along as this, like, fantastic actor with some great roles in, like, Star Trek Beyond and Atomic Blonde. And then this movie happened, and she has not really done much of anything since, and that just makes me sad. Yeah. I could list the things that I am angry at uh, The Mummy up, uh, for, but uh, you'd have to censor me a lot. Let's not. Let's instead talk about the game that is... As it so happens, pretty good. I did not know this game existed, and apparently it has a banger soundtrack. Yeah. I hear great uh, things about this game, and, and I really want to play it. It also has some uh, interesting re reinterpretation of uh, Souls-like elements. Okay. Uh, in particular, when your character dies, 
you know, you have to uh, go back and get your loot back from where you died before. In this game, uh, you do that because uh, the guy that died, died, and you play as another faceless goon soldier in his squad that has to kill his zombified self and then carry on the mission. That's wild. And, huh. Yeah, and yes, your previous uh, character does shoot at you. Wow. Yeah, so it's very fun like that. It's uh, kind of a similar system that uh, what WayForward did with another uh, movie adaptation on the DS, which was uh, Alien's Infestation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, they, they, they went full Metroidvania for this one. And... Uh, Instead of going for a very Egyptian soundtrack like one might expect from a game where your antagonist is the mummy, uh, instead they decided, you know what, that uh, uh, we have a cool soldiers facing supernatural threats, let's amp the nightcore button until uh, we are not allowed to go any higher. The result is tracks such as Cryptometrics. This is just such a cool song. This has just got so much vibe to it. Very cool groove, yeah. great use of instrumentation, just, just a fun track all around. Very much so. It has a similar vibe to the more Castle Entrance vibe, but completely turned on its head for the modern fantasy setting. Uh, which is a very cool way to do things. I will say, however, that it does a much worse job to reflect the individual areas, which, as a result, kind of lose their indiv individuality, which is unfortunate. Uh, I was gonna say, if you had you shown me this this song in a vacuum and told me to name the game it's from, I would not have picked the mummy. Right? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I probably would have gone with, like, Cyberpunk or something. It's in that yeah, realm. Exactly. It's near future soldier guys shooting at uh, the undead with uh, high-caliber rifles and uh, surprisingly safe explosives. No friendly fire that I'm guessing? Incidentally... Nope. Yay! Incidentally, uh, I, I do appreciate the... the... let's call it irony of uh, the movie having Tom Cruise in front of every single poster. He was the movie, and the game just sidelines his character. He's just named. Oh yeah, games. absolutely. He doesn't exist. You just play the faceless soldiers, and it's great. Yeah, I, uh... Yeah. Thumbs up from me is what I'm saying. Yeah, like... The track is very good, it's maybe be a little bit less atmospheric and sets a little less the theme of the individual area than others, but it's the kind of scene you can forgive when uh, you crawl around the underground with that kind of music at your back. It does feel like uh, a song that would be, uh, would be really fun to play to. Yeah. Although, 
I can imagine there are tracks that would be more Metroidvania or would be more Castlevania around. Yes, that is my transition to the next track. I can't believe it's not Bloody Tears. Right? Uh, yeah, pr pretty much. Well, it's uh, called Scarlet Tears, so actually... pretty clearly, like, hey, look, influence, yeah. we're waving that flag. Look what we're trying to be. Yeah, and it's, it's as the, uh, um, said, putting some tracer paper on, uh, on uh, a drawing and adding li little touches here and there. Yeah, like, th these guys aren't uh, wearing the influence on their sleeves, they're painting their face with it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's from uh, Komajo Denzetsu uh, Scarlet Symphony, which is not a Metroidvania, but it was so much, I can't believe it's not Castlevania, that uh, we kind of had to include it. Yeah, like you... you've said, it's more Rondo of Blood inspired. Yeah. It's literally Rondo of Blood with Toho bosses. Yeah. Th that's the only way I can describe this game. And the soundtrack shows. Which makes sense given that one of the Toho antagonists is a vampire. With a very different look that old drag, but still. I I wonder if he's the vampire in this game, because uh, I've uh, I've never gotten past if stage you look two. In the middle, it's the one on top of the picture surrounded by the devil wings. Yeah, probably it's him then. That's a question and I as have. As a result, they but they Belmondified Marisa. Why, why do Japanese vampires, like especially the deeply anime ones, have wings on their head? I've seen that a lot. Like they have a second set of I bat wings on their head. It, I don't know if it has an origin point beyond Morrigan from Darkstalker, which isn't a vampire. No, no, she's a succubus, but still, like. No, I, I've seen a lot of vampire and demon characters with a second set of wings on her head for some reason. And I'm just like, why is that? Yeah. Sorry. Total tangent there, but it's Anime just always been, a, always been a question mark in my head. Hmm. And I know that at least yeah, the... one Toho character has that same setup, and I'm just like, hmm. Yeah, and so, like I was saying, Belbondified uh, uh, Shrine Maiden, where instead of using... Uh, the Belmont Whip, she uses uh, Miko's Gohei, which has the same flexibility and so improvised Whip reference. It plays exactly like Richter Belmont in a Rondo of Blood, maybe with fewer uh, movement abilities. Yeah, I tried just a little bit and the movement really wasn't my jam. It plays a lot like uh, old school Castlevanias, and uh, it, if you're into that stuff, it's fun. I enjoy it from time to time, but uh, the music, oh boy, the music, it's uh, great. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's the, the short version of it. It does look that and, way, uh, yes. It's not just the title that goes, I can't believe it's not Bloody Tears. If you listen to the actual song, you hear the first few notes, you go, wait, they're doing the Bloody Tears piano thing? Oh, no, mm -hmm. then it changes. It's very well, similar. Even then, you say it changes, it still has the same structure. Yeah, it, it, it changes like... similar instruments. Yeah, it like changes maybe a couple notes in the melody or something. And the, the YouTube comments seem to inter indicate it's for a bus battle atop a clock tower. <laughs> 
I haven't gotten that far, but that tracks. Yeah, that's very yeah. on the nose. I, 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 it, I mean, as if we're repeating ourselves now, but we know what game they're trying to make. That is very clear indeed. But, but hey, Toho games, Toho games love to to show their their influences, and this this one, its influence was Castlevania. So, yeah, and like. A bloody cheese is good enough that I will gladly take a blobby purse. Did you just say a blobby perv? A blobby purse. P-E-A-R-S. Pearls. Got it. No, no L. Like, the fruit. Pear. Pears. 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 Yes. Bloody pears. That, that okay. way, I just change a single letter. Got and it. it's funny. Got it. Got it. Okay. Sorry. The accent Good. really... Good. I didn't get that one. Yeah, no, bad. I understand. I'm, I need to apologize, Rand. I've been having problems with your accent in the last few episodes, and I'm not sure why that is. Usually I can understand you just fine. No, no, I do have issues distinguishing bear from beer and uh, pears from pears from pearls from tears. <laughs> You and would love the I will Russian. entirely blame that not on me, but on the English language as a whole. To you would love the calm. Russian folk metal band called Beer Bear. Oh god. <laughs> Real band, I swear. I, I believe you. We need to make a tier list of random spoons one day. I'm not sure how that well would that require goes. way too much archival works than any of us is willing to do. Agreed. And you know it. <laughs> Also, I think the tier list wouldn't end at F. It would go all the way to Z. <laughs> Ow! My precious, fragile little heart. Hey, I if, mean you're not wrong, but if don't Des is to be believed, the worst puns are the only ones worth telling. <laughs> he has a point. The man has a point. So, uh, yeah, a bit ironically. The one game in our in our episode today that isn't a Metroidvania is quite possibly the most Castlevania-like game in our episode today. Well, competing with Bloodstained. I mean, you say that, but it it's still like acting like a Castlevania game, just the pre-Metroidvania Castlevania games. It's the level-based platformers yes. from OG yeah. Castlevania. Indeed. So, no, it's still very much inspired by Castlevania, just a different segment of it. Which still makes it the imposter in a Metroidvania episode. Correct. Even if just by the technicality of the Vania part of Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. And with that, that is our love letter to all things exploration. Let's talk about the rest of the nonsense we played this week. Music Arcade, now playing. Um... So I played and beat Valkyrie Elysium over the, uh, over the few days since, uh, over the few days since our last recording. Um, I very much look forward to the time I'm allowed to do that on Steam. Good luck. Uh, I'm not going to That's spoil enough. anything. I will say I found the game to be far too short for its own good. Um, but, uh, the one thing it did bring to the table was probably the best Motoi Sakuraba soundtrack since Dark Souls. Like, wow, he's actually trying again. 
That's good. Yeah. That's very good. Uh, this song in particular plays in the second major map, so starting from chapter three. And it's, um, good? Like, it's not the best work he's ever done. Yeah, I know, but you can get uh, from a simple listen the enjoyable feel of uh, going around the Napole town. Yeah. There's this fresh feel to it, and it's not Sakuraba, Sakuraba in Sakuraba until he can Sakuraba anymore. Pretty much. Um, it feels like... It feels like there's an energy to this and a freshness that he hasn't had for a while. I, I wish, I wish he he had this much love for Tales of Arise. I still come back to Tales of Arise yes. of, look at how good I that game is say. and look at how half-assed that soundtrack is. He didn't half-ass this one. He This is a good three quarters. Yeah. This is a good three quarters assing. You know, my, my mind, when I listen to this track uh, on its own, since I haven't played the game and haven't watched either, I, I can conjure two kind of different mental images in my head. One of them is the battle thing, which appears to be what it's for, based on the title. Yeah, the field version of this but, theme uh, is a lot um, is a lot more chill. But uh, listen to this this battle version, this the same version. Uh, another thing I can kind of picture is like considering it's in a port, I can imagine a whole fleet amassing to go to war and sort of this glorious vibe of looking at this these dozens of huge war machines getting prepped i don't know why i'm but that image came to my mind i don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that image is incorrect i wasn't expecting it to be correct at all fair enough so just it it conjures that image uh, to my mind for some reason right and, uh, it's a cool track. It's a cool track. Very, very much what you said. He, the dude's trying again. Yes, which, oh, I, I love that. That's probably my favorite thing about this game. The one weird thing about this track, and I want to bring this up, but this is kind of a spoiler, but not really. Um, For a bit of the melody line, it goes into a song from VP1 called The Name of His Kingdom is Fear, which is a theme okay. for Brahms's castle. The thing is... Brahms and nothing resembling Brahms appears in Valkyrie Elysium, so I'm not sure why that is. Hmm. Yeah. So I don't know why that was the song that he chose to go back to. Because as the storyline goes, this one is ultra streamlined. Oh, actually, now that I think of it, uh, the pacing and the way vocals are part of and interwoven in a solid enough through line reminds me of another game with i believe a similar pace of action it gives me a little bit of dragon guard free vibe yeah this game is very dragon guard inspired it's also very inspired by bayonetta like this plays more like bayonetta than dragon guard to be perfectly honest but um it's definitely got that like yeah, I, I definitely feel... I felt like it actually felt a little more like Dragon Guard 2 than 3 a little bit at times. But yeah, it's mm. it's definitely got that energy to it. Ooh, ooh. I'm I'm just lost in the RPG, JRPG babble. Okay, well, I don't understand a single word of those. good video games, Eddie. Actually, no. Dragon Guard 3 isn't really a good video game, but it's a very funny one. I disagree. I think it was a good video game. It was okay. 
It was it was a it was good. It I, wasn't great. I loved it. I wouldn't recommend it, but I loved it. Uh, I still feel like should I would I recommend grab it. The but... popcorn? I'm sorry. I think hmm? I should grab the popcorn. Nah. Okay, and then I just need to point this out. Like, you're like, I'm confused about this JRPG talk. We haven't mentioned a single JRPG except uh, Valka Profile 1. All of these games we're talking about are action games. Yeah. I think that uh, proves my point about being confused. <laughs> you know what? Because I don't. I haven't played a single one of these games. Fair enough. Um... Valkyrie Profile is my favorite uh, Ethan game of all time. I don't blame you. That one's up there for me, too. Um, Valkyrie Elysium does not hold up to it. It's it's very derivative by comparison. I didn't expect it to be that has budget written all over it. Yeah. It's, it's a real 7 out of 10 game. Like, it's a totally good video game, but like... Honestly... We how stars my Valkyrie fanboy self has been, I will take a 7 out of time any day. Very same. I'm, I'm going to be working the platinum this game in the background, because I, I want the platinum. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. I that's think, literally uh, all I played this week that I haven't covered in prior episode. Next. Uh, I was going to say, I think uh, uh, the one thing that the three of us can agree with is that uh, Valkyrie Elysium is the most game of all time. <laughs> true, true. And I haven't played it, but I can tell that. It is it is a game, alright. It's definitely a video game. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, for my turn this time, uh, I'm still with Destiny 2. I want to uh, retread uh, old ground with that mm -hmm. one, but I have a couple new things. So, first off, I've been playing a little bit of <clears throat> correction. I've been uh, dying uh, a lot in Moonscars which is another Dark Souls-inspired 2D Metroidvania. It is hard. I am not sure I like it. Soundtrack, uh, very ambience-heavy. It's very forgettable. On the other hand, I've been playing a game called Metal Hellsinger. With a name like that, I'm sure the soundtrack is very chill and pretty forgettable as well oh yeah yeah so uh th this is uh this is where galen will have to censor me because there's only one way i can describe it and uh this game is metal as f i mean the fact that the opening track you gave uh is sung by a guy who a i've seen in concert like 84 times shocker b is one of the guys who started the subgenre of melodic death metal and C is actually one of my yeah. favorite death metal singers of all time, if not my favorite death metal singer of all time, because he very well may be. Um, yeah, I, I wonder uh... if the game leads like metal. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I, I haven't uh, listened to the track with uh, Serge Duncan yet, so I don't know how that one is. I have listened to it. But it every is single... weird hearing him on death metal, uh, death metal instruments. But it is, it's a good so weird. So it is death metal. Yeah, this it whole is thing is like very too. genty death metal. Like it's, it's got a, it's yeah. sound to it. And the singers are varying levels of out of place, but also like they make it work because they're all like really good. Except Alyssa White Glues who isn't, but that's, that's a whole other conversation. Honestly, the whole game's kind of like that. Like if you were to describe it to someone else, they would go, that is out of place. But uh, if you play through it, it works like. For example, yeah. uh, your character doesn't have 
a voice that's part of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, she's looking for her voice. So no, the game's so narrated. Kind of. So it's transition with uh, Michael Stana and 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 uh, Matt Heafy and Serge Tanky and Alyssa White Glues and a whole bunch of other people instead of Colin and Cunningham. Also Logan Cunningham. Uh, and also apparently the music swells up uh, as you rock up combos kind of like uh, Devil May Cry 5 situation. Yep. So, just uh... a, a quick breakdown. Uh, your character doesn't have a voice. The entire thing is she's trying to find her voice and uh, I... I believe the the idea they're trying to come up with is that uh, Lisa uh, White Gloves and uh, I forget the name, the singer from Ginger, um, uh, Tatiana Myshuk or something. Tatiana, I'm not right? good with Ukrainian names. Yeah, uh, I think the idea is that basically they are the the representations of the character's voice because it's a female demon. Uh, the game is narrated by Troy Baker doing a cowboy impression <laughs> as a skull, like he's just a skull called Paz, which means peace in Spanish and Portuguese. Like, it shouldn't fit together, especially not with a death, a melodic death metal soundtrack. But it does. And then there's what Rana just said. Uh, as you rack up uh, uh, hits on the beat, on the proper beat, your combo meter goes up, and as it goes up, uh, more instruments get added mm -hmm. to the soundtrack. So usually how it goes is, uh, at the start you just have sort of synths, maybe a bass. Then at uh, 4x, uh, rhythm guitar joins in. At 8x, you get the lead guitar and the full instrumentation. And at 16x, you get the vocal. And uh, it really ramps up and when you get to at least the first couple boss fights, I only finished two stages so far. When you get to the boss fight, the tempo actually goes faster as well. So it does get more metal as you go along. And uh, uh, just a suggestion for people who are good at uh, picking up the beat of the song by ear. If you are trying to shoot based on the indicator on the screen, try to ignore that and shoot based on what you're listening to, you'll probably be more accurate. Yeah. Um, uh, for some reason, I don't as, I, as I don't the, work well with the indicator. As the, I believe it's safe to say, biggest rhythm game enthusiast of the podcast, uh, yeah, use your ears. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, pretty much. Visual lag is a thing. And I'm probably the biggest death metal enthusiast here, and... Um, I wanted to analyze this song, but I couldn't because I was headbanging too hard. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I have like two comments, and the rest of this is just like metal horns. Um, were you uh, were you headbanging to the beat at least? Yeah, I'm a sound Ooh, engineer who likes death metal, of course. Um, yeah, your 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 biggest challenge when playing this game is if you want to headbang while you're playing. That's gonna it's... be the problem because this song yeah. is really good. Like, again, it's Michael Stana. Okay, no. Here's the idea. You use a Steam deck that you strap to your face. <laughs> and okay, this you're, way, the you're screen just is, follows the headbanging. Now you're just describing a 2022 version of the Virtual Boy. <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I do. You're right. 
Uh, anyway, um, so the first thing I noticed is this different instrumentation that I'm used to from the singer. As I said, this guy's one of the guys behind uh, melodic death metal. Uh, Dark Tranquility, his primary band, is a lot more on the avant-garde side. They tend to play around with stuff. They tend to be a little slower. Not like Swallow the Sun slow, but like... They tend to be a little more deliberate than like the like major... Like this especially, because this is definitely more of a sugar line. Uh, it's got the very genty guitars. Um, one of the pre-choruses has a drop that comes in, like an actual, like almost EDM drop, where everything kind of fades away for a while, and then it just hits you even harder. I thought that was a very interesting take, and that is all I can really give you because I was just jamming to the music the whole time. Otherwise, so uh, do you have a timestamp for that drop? Maybe I can comment. Uh, it was pretty deep in. Game. It was it was like three three or so minutes into the song. Like 3.30 or somewhere around there. Uh, let me see if I can hear real quick. Yep. If not, we'll just go to run us game. I don't know how accurate I was. Again, you were talking to a guy who kind of stopped paying attention to that pretty early on. I'm just like, there's heavy metal. This is a singer I respect greatly. Like, a lot. Uh, I've been told I look like him once or twice. Right. I think I found it. It seems to be around... 325. Yeah, around there. 330. Yeah. I I think that drop happens uh not in the middle of the stage, but as the uh, introduction to the boss arena. Ah. If Ooh. I recall correctly. So like the same song is using the main stage and at the boss, but at the boss there's this drop to separate things and to give you a bit of a uh, a feeling of awe as there's this drop. And then it gets into the fast tempo bit. Awesome. Where the tempo is faster than the main stage. It's a really fun experience. If you're into heavy metal, especially melodic death metal, it's a really, really fun experience. You keep saying melodic and death metal, but none of the songs I've heard of are actually melodic death metal. It's a lot closer to Meshuga, a lot closer to Gent, which is technically a spinoff, but it's got some pretty different sounds to it. Like, I'm not yeah, thinking Soil Work or In Flames, uh, although Bjorn Strid, the lead singer of Soil Work, is also on the game soundtrack. Uh, I'm not thinking Dark Tranquility, I'm not thinking Insomnium or, or Omnium Gatherum. I, it doesn't sound like any of these bands that are in the melodic metal label. Even to a lesser degree, Amona Marth, it, it really, it sounds over in Meshuggahland. Yeah, I think a part of it is that the uh, full mix that's uh, um, on our playlist for those viewers and probably will be on the album once the soundtrack comes out, which is like, they they gotta release the soundtracks eventually, I'm right? sure they will. But, uh, uh, that mix, yeah, that mix doesn't really showcase uh, the synths too much, so maybe I'm having a, uh, a bit of a different experience from you because I actually played through the slow start. Clearly the solution is to more synth. Uh, the, the the plan has entered my mind, and I'm certainly not opposed to the idea. I just, I need to hit the button on it and see if I want to try playing a shooter. Honestly, I could try and do it as well. Um, and I'm just going to throw one other thing out there. Uh, so Michael Stana has a spin-off band uh, called The Halo Effect. And The Halo Effect is a... is a band composed entirely of Theseus ship discards from the band In Flames. Every single member, up to and including Michael Stana himself, of this band used to play for In Flames at some point. 
It's really good. Go buy that album and support them, or at the very least, listen to it on Spotify or something and give them royalties. So what you're saying is that you're in your happy place right now. Yes. Thinking and listening about this game. Yeah. Yeah, this game is right up my alley, and it's just, again, it's the genre. It's a rhythm shooter. I'm not good at that, but I'm gonna, I, I, I'm close to the point where I really want to try. If you have the Game Pass, it's definitely worth at least downloading and giving it a shot. Uh, as far as buying it, that's up, up to each person. I, that's, that's what I'd say. Because Death Metal is an acquired taste for most people. And the game is death metal, the game. It is. It absolutely is. And I love that. <laughs> so do I. So anyway, that's that's been the, the past few days for me. Uh, Rana, what have you been playing? Not much. So instead I'm going to talk about some recent news, more like. Uh, Vampire Survivors uh, is about to release its 1.0 version in uh, like 10 days I believe and so they uh, got an advent calendars of new features that are going to roll out during 1.0 and the news for today happens to be music related because uh, they're not just going to uh, release one new uh, track for a boss that better be a vampire because we still don't have any vampires in Vampire Survivors. Right? I guess yeah. the vampires are surviving. Well, you have the... I mean... You you do have the two, uh, the Alucard wannabe and the female Alucard wannabe, so they, they might count. Maybe. I'm uh, just grasping but, at straws uh, here. Uh, yeah, but uh, the uh, one thing they did... Uh, Regarding the soundtrack, which was the announcement, is one, they've uh, found a way to add back in uh, the old music for the library. And then they uh, put an example of an alternate version. Because uh, there's going to be alternate versions of uh, tracks totally to a total of 12 new tracks. Oh, wow. The, yeah, the composer's different, but the result is... Different as well, but also uh, in line with uh, the game as a whole, it has no right to be this good. So this alternative version of the track that you're talking about is the one you shared, Libro Inferno. Yes, Libro Inferno. That's I, a library track? I honestly thought that was going to be like a boss track or something, like for that final boss they added that I still haven't fought. We don't know yet what will be the condition for getting the B sides of those tracks. So maybe that's a boss version or something like that. I will say one thing that came to my mind as I was listening to that track. I saw the composer, uh, or at least arranger, it's called uh, Filippo, Filippo Vicarelli. I was surprised it wasn't uh, someone we've named before, one Vittorio D'Amore. Uh, it doesn't go quite as hard as Master Boot Record or Kijan Church, but it does feel like something he could come up with as a side project. It's in that realm. Yeah, no, those uh, attacks are no joke. Yeah. This is this is Vampire Survivors going metal. I'm okay with that. I'm that's down the, for it. Yeah, that's the the 
the best way I can describe this, and I like it. Yeah. So, looking forward to the full release. Indeed. Also, I'm glad that after having linked so much Vampires, Metroidvanias, and Spain for some reason, we have a little bit of Italian influence now. It This is a pan-European genre. Hey, we had Mexico too. True, true. And now I'm a little sad I didn't get to include something from uh, Indivisible, which oh, yes. has Metroidvania influences for sure, though it is an RPG. Although that last stage It has was, more Valkyrie profile influences. Really. It does. Um, although that last stage was like three battles and like eight years of hard platforming, so... But uh, yeah. that would have given us a much-needed Asian influence as well. Because I like to think this genre is good for the whole world. Yeah, Metroidvanias are good. They are. They are. Well, that's all the backtracking we can stomach for one day. You can check the playlist with the songs you talk about and the ways to get in touch with us in the episode description. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will see you next time. See ya. See ya.